Welcome to the first Gamers Over 50 podcast. My name is Mitch Horton. I have just turned 50 this last, you know, over this last year, and I wanted to start doing a podcast. So I talked to some friends and discussed some of my things that I really like, and then had them come over for dinner to my house one night, and they said, hey, you should do a gaming podcast because you play a lot of games, and that is probably true. Um, but I also love to play games. Games have been a part of my life since I was a little boy and started playing Pong and Atari. And I moved up to more sophisticated games like Pac-Man and eventually Tron and other games and then console games. So I've, I've kind of seen it. I've done it. I still play them. I still play new games all the time. Um, what I'm hoping to do with this podcast is uh, talk about older games. Let's let's reminisce, talk about things we loved in them, things we'd like to see in new games, things like that. You know, let's talk to some people who play the games. I want to go out and talk to other people who are over 50 who play games, and maybe some people who aren't over 50. I'd like to talk to my kids to see what they think about playing games uh, as well. And I'd like to start talking to some people in the industry, because I do think there are some openings in the industry, and there, you know, there are a ton of people who are over 50 in the gaming industry that I've talked to, that I've seen. There's actually a, a 50 people over the age of 50 in gaming, and I'd love to talk to all 50 of those people and lots of their friends just about what gaming means to them, what the future of gaming is, where can we see gaming uh, going, because you know things have changed since 1976, 75, when I first saw my first video game. And I'd also like to help people who may not know how to game, maybe learn. People who have said, oh, I've never played video games or I've never played uh, those giant board games. And we're not just talking about Monopoly here. We're talking about some you know, heavy duty stuff, not heavy duty, but Settlers of Catan, uh, getting into other games, games that maybe you can play with your kids or your grandchildren. Um, I'm hoping when I'm older, my kid, grandchildren will sit down on a... Uh, a video game console and try to beat me at any video game and I can still beat them. And then the day I don't beat them, they can have the console. So, you know, a lot about this is really for me going back, living, reliving some things, but also I want to learn more. I know right now I just went to PAX West a few weeks ago. I don't know enough about video games. I don't know enough about board games. I really don't know enough about board games. I'd like to get more into playing RPGs. So I want to give, you know, that's where we want to go off the podcast. But I also want to give you a little bit of history about me so that as we go through, uh, if you want to leave comments or if you want to join the podcast, we want to do an interview. It'd be awesome. Um, talk about some of your favorite video games, if you've ever played them, board games. So I want to talk about really the games I've played in my lifetime. And the first games I played were cards. I think all of us played cards as first games, maybe uh, war. You know, we play war still. I do it with my kids. But I also had a grandmother who loved to play cards, loved to play solitaire, taught me how to play solitaire, loved to play rummy. And I have more memories of the game of rummy. If you've never played it, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's got, it's like one of those gin kind of pinochle, all those fun party games. Euchre gets into it as well, uh, games. But I played a ton with my grandmother. She, and I, I can't tell you how many games of rummy I played with her to the point where I've played with all my kids as they get to about that eight, nine-year-old level, we start playing Rummy. It's an awesome game to teach counting and putting stuff together and stuff. So, you know, cards were like the big thing. So, 
you know, I did get into playing some magic for a little while. I'm not a super magic guy. I've got two decks just because I have been given two decks, not because I've ever put them all together. Um, but I did sit down a couple packs ago and um, and play. And I, I apologize. PAX is the Penny Arcade Expo, P-A-X. And I live in the Seattle area and they have PAX West was the original or they call it PAX Prime, the original PAX. But it's a, a gaming conference and it's not video games. It's video board retro, which is, you know, the stuff we call our favorite things from our memories. It's also new stuff coming out, things that you can't even play uh, yet. And then it's got a lot of things for independent developers. So they call them indie games. Um, So some of those fun party games you may see at some point on a Wii or an Xbox or your Switch all probably start out as an indie party game. So that's PAX. And we'll go totally into PAX in the next episode because I I did a bunch of interviews with folks. I'm excited to talk about the great stories I heard. but, you know, going after that, I moved into board games. And like everybody else, you know, we all played Candyland. We all played Monopoly. And if you didn't play Candyland or Monopoly, go find a copy of Candyland and Monopoly. And I actually think in Candyland, they should sell one with, like, costumes. So you have to wear a costume of your candy character. Um, that's just because I'm a little bit odd. I like to wear my banana costume and ride around on my bicycle at marathons or road races and hand out bananas to people who are kind of, you can tell they're, they need one. But I do think Candyland was like some of those first early games and we played, you know, Risk and Stratego and, you know, you may have played Backgammon. There's so many board games. I couldn't even name them all if I took some time right now. Um, but we played a lot of those. And then actually it's grown up with my kids because the the board games have grown up themselves. Uh, there's some fun stuff like Pandemic that it's out there. Uh, Seven Wonders is out there. I've recently Settlers of Catan. And if you ever watch The Big Bang, they talk about a lot on Big Bang or other shows that have technology. But Settlers of Catan is really cool because it's kind of a simplified game that allows you to have resources and you have to build stuff before other people. And you can get a game out of the way in probably 30 to 45 minutes. Um, if you have two or three people, if you get four or five people, it may take a little longer. But also some other games like Sushi Go, which is a super cute game that my kids and I play. Uh, and it's you have to basically build little sushi packets and then you see how many uh, people, how many points you get per person. And then you see who has the most points, etc. And then uh, Machi Koro is another cool game that we've been playing with our kids because it's a way to like a build a village. And then you get counter points at the end. And of course, Cards Against Humanity. If you've never heard of Cards Against Humanity and let's say bad words upset you, you probably shouldn't play Cards Against Humanity. You should go get a copy of Apples to Apples, another fine game. But Cards Against Humanity is kind of a phenom. And I like Cards Against Humanity because it is absolutely irreverent. There are a lot of bad things that can be said. And um, actually, the cool thing is a few years ago, I was able to get some cards with my name on them as well as some other sayings that I like. And none of them were bad. They were just, you know, silly things. Like I'm a big Kentucky Wildcat fan. So I have a University of Kentucky Wildcats card. Um, as you know, and those are good games as well. As, and then Trivial Pursuit. I love Trivial Pursuit. And in fact, we found recently there's a kids and adults Trivial Pursuit. And it is so much fun because my daughter, Lucy and I, and my son Beckett, 
and I will sit down and we will play and the kids have their own questions, which are perfectly right in their knowledge base. And then mine are like, you know, who banged their shoe on the United Nations in 1960 or 70 something. And of course, that's crucial just because I remember that's the very first question I ever got right in. Uh, in oh, no, I ever got I got first question I ever got asked. I didn't get it right. In Trivial Pursuit. So I remembered it forever and ever and ever. But so you can see where we start. There's lots of board games out there. And after that, you know, when I was a kid, started seeing things that are very cool. Saw cabinet video games. And if you've never seen a cabinet video game, I'm sorry, find an arcade. There's got to be one near you. Or, you know, there is the old Google being option. But a cabinet video games were just things that would be in a restaurant or they'd be in an airport. And I remember the very first time I saw one, it was actually, I think, in a department store, like in the front where the the candy and the little things you put a quarter in, you get like the gummy ring or whatever out of it. But there was a Pong machine. And I saw it and I looked at it and I sat there and I think my mother went in, shopped, came back out, put everything in the car and then came back and got me. I was just mesmerized. I had never seen something on a screen other than black and white, you know, old school uh, Gilligan's Island and, you know, all sorts of shows are on there. Beverly Hillbillies. I'm super dating myself here now. But, you know, who didn't love those guys? Those guys? I mean, still can't figure out how Gilligan never got off that island. But, you know, we saw these cabinets and that exploded and it became a whole revolution. There were like songs about these. And I've seen people sing the songs about them in every language, including up to death metal and k-pop which is kind of cool in every way because i think back to the time when i heard that song and it was like supposed to be like poppy cool 19 you know 80s music makes it much fun but you know the next next game that just kind of blew my mind was we were on an airplane we had to fly somewhere and it was a big long vacation we had to go a very long distance and they actually and this is when they used to have bars on airplanes everybody before they were using all the seats they had a bar on the airplane everybody was smoking of course and they had a Ms. Pac-Man, but it was the tabletop, the kind you see in like a Pizza Hut on a Friday night or, you know, people sell or, you know, the preempting to the Surface, Microsoft Surface. I remember seeing that over at Microsoft. They had the original Surface and it was just like a table. Now they're, you carry them everywhere. They're big on the walls, things like that. But it was this really cool Ms. Pac-Man and it's on an airplane. And my dad, like, you know, had to break like a 20 to give me, a, you know, five bucks and quarters. But I don't think my parents ever saw me the entire flight. And I got, I had to be shuffled back to my seat. And I shoved those quarters in. I wasn't really good. Um, but then you said things like Galaga. And, you know, there were, the, you could watch people. People would stand around them. And they had tournaments about this. In fact, they, you know, Adam Sandler made a movie that made fun of it. There was a movie with, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember if a guy from Fred, uh, this is going to bug me. He's going to come like, he's going to come on my podcast one day and he's going to get really mad because I can remember Winnie, but I can't remember. But they had, it was called like the master or something about a video game kid. A kid was like the best at playing video games, a wizard or something. Like that. I think it's a wizard is that's what it is, is the movie. So that started happening. But you know, there, some of the cooler games that I really enjoyed were Time Pilot. And I liked it because it wasn't just a, I'm going forward or backwards or left or right. You went around in a circle and you had to shoot different genres. So you start out in like the 1940s and you move to the 1960s with helicopters and all these things and eventually end up with spaceships and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was cool. And finally, my favorite of all favorites, but this is because the movie was so awesome, was Tron. I remember seeing Tron 
on the big screen and everybody talks about the big screen nowadays and everybody, you know, Oh, I'm watching stuff on my TV at home. I'm like, no, and you see Tron on the big screen and you see Jeff Bridges get digitized and turn into a video game and light cycles. And it's just everything. Sark, the whole deal blew my mind. It was this, that was the moment, I guess, you know, people talk about technology washing over them. That was that moment. And I had, at the time, lived in a very small rural town. And we had a movie theater. It was like a dollar to go see the movie. I probably spent $15 on Tron. I probably saw it every week, two or three times. I begged my parents to take me. It was the coolest thing. And then a video game came out. And it was the first video game that wasn't you do one thing. You got to pick one of four things to go do. Now, it is four of the same games, and they just get harder. But it was really so neat, and the controller wasn't just a joystick. It had a turn. It was just the coolest thing ever. And so Tron became like my favorite. To this day, I've always wanted a stand-up Tron cabinet, but there's really not a lot of place to put it in the house, so it just hasn't happened. You know, at the same time, we were seeing handheld games. And I thought about my hand first handheld game, and I've talked to friends as I was doing some kind of prep for this podcast. And uh, one of my friends was like, oh, I remember the old Mattel electronic football game. And I said, I do. I really remember it because I think my parents would steal the batteries out of it when I'd fall asleep in the car when we were driving somewhere. I played it nonstop. It was the ultimate distraction. Like it destroyed Mad Libs for me and all the other books you would get in the car and things like that. It was absolutely insane how much fun that was. And all it was was a little dash moving around other little dashes and scoring, you know, points. It, it, you know, the, the, the original dopamine factor into it. Um, then you also have things like Game Boys. And think of the Game Boy is still out there. You have Everybody has kind of their, is building their handheld and has their handheld built out. But I remember the original Game Boy when it came out because we had played a ton of Mario. And we're going to talk about consoles in a second. So I played a ton of Mario. And it had a Mario game that I could sit at work. And so at the time when I got mine, I was like, oh, I was just starting out. I'd make my lunch, make sure my Game Boy's charged up. And at lunch, I would put headphones in and play Game Boy. I wasn't a super social person at that time. I was kind of a little bit introverted and I worked in technology. So I already was, you know, super geeky and dorky. So why not just take it the full ride? Um, but then I started meeting people that played Game Boys and we had a whole Game Boy table eventually. It was a bunch of people staring at devices. Wow, that doesn't sound like anything happening today, does it? Uh, haha, little jokes. I will poke fun at the behaviors of what we do today and things like that. So understand this is going to be fun, sarcastic, silly, not mean in any way. So, you know, the Game Boy became it and Super Mario Land became so cool. In fact, you could probably pick one up today and play Super Mario Land just for fun. From there, we went to consoles, right? So I had that Mattel handheld. And then I remember my very first friend, and I'm going to name him Randy Roth, got an Atari and got combat. Remember combat, the original Atari game, they gave you combat for free. You had to buy all the other games. They're like, you think games are expensive today. They were think of the seventies. You had to pay 50 bucks for a game, but combat playing it for hours and laughing because you get knocked to the other side of the screen. But the Atari was something that I plugged into the TV Actually, you didn't plug it in the TV. You had this little device you would have to screw into the antennas in the back, and then you could plug the thing into the TV. And I remember getting one, my Atari, 
And I coveted it. I loved it so much. And I had younger siblings. That I was like, no, oh, you can't play. And then I eventually realized that they could just beat the daylights out of them in combat. It was so much fun. But there were so many great games. And in fact, Pitfall, to this day, I have gone, I haven't, I bought one of those Atari emulators. I will spend an hour, an hour and a half on Pitfall. And my kids will just stare at me like, what are you doing? I can't even survive a minute. And it cracks me up because I'm thinking, well, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood doing this. Of course, that was at night after I could come home because you got kicked out of the house when you were a kid. You can't do that as much anymore. But Pitfall was out there. And it's interesting because that the Atari legend still lives on today because people found a huge dump site that had E.T. games in them, the worst game considered everywhere. Uh, you see the movie Ready Player One in the movie, and I'm not spoiling this. The movie's been out over a year. So I got my 365 days of spoiler out. So they play an Atari as the final challenge. So the Atari was huge. And the Atari opened up the space for the Sega. And I remember playing Sega online. This was like the next step. So you had Sega and you had the cartridges and you played Sega online with certain cable companies. And I remember Friday nights where my friend Harry Deline, I'd bring a pizza, pizza over to his house. Harry, I'm going to send you a copy of this so you're going to remember this because we laugh. We'd play Sega until the X-Files would come on, and then we'd play Sega afterwards, and at about 11.30, we would go to this techno dance club and stand on the wall and watch people, because he and I were total wallflowers, never danced, would try to get people to dance, have funny stories about anybody who does dance, probably to this day, we can sit back and reminisce, but we played this Sega online, and we would play the same games for hours, like everybody else, you know, Mortal Kombat, Speedball, Sonic. It was it all across the board. And then eventually you started hitting the PS4, the PS, actually, sorry, the PlayStation, PS2, PS3, PS4, the Xbox. I remember I actually worked at Microsoft at the time when the Xbox came out. It was insane because even at the Microsoft store where, you know, people were pretty cool, there was a giant line. There was a giant line for everything. They were selling Xboxes on eBay for like a thousand dollars, you could buy one for two ninety nine or something at the store. But then people would take it and you know ship them out and sell them. Um, and there are tons of great games on there. You know, Halo. You've got you know the whole Battlefield. You've got all the Call of Duties. You have you know uh, you've got gosh, you can just keep going for hours on it. You have you know Sonic. You have Mario with the the whole Mario console. I and mean, I didn't even get into that one, but I want to do a whole Nintendo show and give it complete respect that Mario deserves, obviously, um, as well as Nintendo across the board. But you have all these consoles. And I remember the first game that I enjoyed because I enjoyed games of depth. I enjoyed games that you could go around. You weren't, again, like I said, with Time Pilot, you were not going left, right, up, down. Um, but there was a game called Amped, and it was a snowboarding game. It had all these challenges. And mind you, I'm never going to be a snowboarder. I am not built for that. I was probably built in some world to be a guy who would move the giant rocks in the old times. But um, the Amped game was so much fun. You would you could go the opposite direction. You could go over the hill. You could bounce yourself up and go the wrong direction. And it was built out. There were no challenges or anything you could do over there. You didn't get points and things like that. But it's just like free snowboarding across this mountain. And I remember playing that and you could put your own and the, the beauty of the Xbox at the time is you could put your own soundtrack. So I'd take my CDs and save this track and this track and this track and this track onto it. And that was awesome. And, you know, obviously the Xbox one is out. There are so many 
crazy games that are going into you know, the virtual reality space. I'd like to do, talk about that as well. Um, but then after you know that Atari 2600, <clears throat> the only direction pretty much I could go at the time was we get a PC. And the coolest thing about it was my first PC game was what kind of inspired me to have a career choice in technology because I had to figure out how to hook up a tape recorder. And I want you to think about the old school tape recorder, not the little mini ones, the real size tape recorders, to a TRS-80. And so Radio Shack sold, sold a computer. They used to call them trash 80s. But if you were like me and you had no technology in your life and you, that was your technology, then it was not trash. It was awesome. But they had the TRS-80 and we had to plug the tape recorder into it. You put your tape in. You'd go do something for five minutes after hitting play and come back and you could play Hangman. And I could play Hangman against somebody else that was okay at it or didn't, you know, so I could play against a computer. It was me against the machine's brain. And I know, you know, the whole Terminator thing comes to mind there, but it's also the whole war games thing was going on, et cetera. Uh, the movies, it was technology was we were against the machine at the time. Now we're living with the machine. It's our part of our life. So the, the playing Hangman was great. And it was cool because I worked in the library and I could like sneak in, start it up, go do what I needed to do, and then look around. There's nobody here. Well, let's go play a cool game of Hangman. Now from there, my parents had got us an Apple IIe. And there was a group of people at Apple IIe's in our little town. And we all had our, our hole punchers and our disc, our five and a quarter floppies. And so somebody would get a game. And there were some really amazing games at the time, like Load Runner, which, you know, nowadays people would be like, oh, that's so boring. But at the time, it was so cool because, you know, it was just very graphic. Uh, there were, you know, there's the original Castle Wolfenstein with stick figures, which was really weird because you had stick figure uh, combatants in that. And then one of my favorite games, because I really like role-playing games, was Wizardry. And you could create your character. And it was one of the original first on, you know, computer on the screen. It had color. You had dragons. And it simulated spitting fire <laughs> ammunitions. And it was really cool because you would have an RPG and you'd build your character and you'd you know, do stuff like that. Um, from there, obviously, look where technology has us today. And we can, you know, some of the coolest games I've ever played. And I, and I love Sid Meier's Civilization, going through that, as well as looking at things like Age of Empires. I thought Age of Empires was so neat because not only was there history, but I could play people in another land and I could attack people in my land where I live or, you know, attack people, you know, in Europe or the European, the Americans, things like that. And, you know, I could be Abraham Lincoln or I could be, um, I'll say tongue. I mean, just across the board, really kind of just you could play a different group. I'm sorry, that's civilization inside of Age of Empires. You get to play a different um, age of people, but it also gained focus. And what's really cool about this is a really awesome friend of mine who has promised to jump on this podcast and is like an icon in my view in the gaming industry. Uh, Kate Edwards has actually worked on Age of Empire. So with that, I have, uh, sorry, I have a puppy talking in the backyard. So with that, you know, Age of Empires just became even cooler to me. And then finally, about 15 years ago, I, uh, I was going through some personal life challenges. We'll just call them at that. I was getting a divorce and I found World of Warcraft. And remember when I talked about Ant and the world being just so huge, 
Well, World of Warcraft became that way too. Wow, World of Warcraft, you've probably heard people that are like, oh, they're addicted to video games. There is a lot of people probably are. And at this day and age, uh, that's very normal. People can do that all the time. So, you know, people can get involved in video games really in depth. What's crazy about World of Warcraft is I like to explain to people, it's kind of like living in your town and it's a, you know, two by two mile town. And then you have the ability to go into a space where it's a million times a million. And it's so huge and there are boats and there is lore and there's a story and there's knowledge. And there's a lot of people that probably will go, excuse me, you know, that's a, that's a dumb game that you'll spend too much time on and you'll waste your life on probably like all other video games, like lots of pursuits that you can spend way too much time. Everything can be good in moderation. Um, But it also, at the time for me, fit a really good space. I could actually, you know, escape for a second. I was dealing with a lot of heavy stress and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't, I got kind of into it. And then at some point I watched it out, but I've developed lifelong relationships. I have been to weddings. I have friends who've had babies. I didn't get named after any of the babies, nor did any of our characters, which is really a good thing for those children. But it did explode and give us that space. And it also made online gaming the huge, huge thing it is. There, you know, we have now League of Legends, we have Dota, we have Overwatch, we have esports. Probably would not be here without World of Warcraft. Because you had that many people would go and watch online a group of people do an achievement or accomplishment in the game. So PC gaming really kind of took gaming, you know, it was kind of the internet catalyst. So everything else got a huge catalyst out of it. So did gaming. And in fact, gaming kind of drove it because people wanted that entertainment. They wanted to see things to that effect. Then we move into phones. Now, I've had a lot of phones and people are like, oh, I can't believe you don't remember games on other phones. Well, I really didn't want to play a game on another phone until I got my BlackBerry, which I still own, which is crazy. I should probably give it to a museum or somebody or find a way to have it taken care of, but my BlackBerry, and they had a game on it called Brick Breaker, and it was just the old, you know, little ball bouncing up, knocking bricks off, spending that time, fun, yay, but I, you know, I had to travel, so it was a nice diversion instead of sitting there and reading something or trying to open up my, you know, 20-pound laptop, really, really easy to go. Um, and then you got a lot of other games that came along with it. Like eventually we had games that were on the PC that translated over like Tetris, but there were some really cool games that started opening the world of gaming technology wise for more people. The first one of them was words of friends. Like I love people that say, well, I don't play video games. And I ask them, I go, Oh, but we play words of friends. That's a video game. And they're like, no, no, it's Scrabble. Or I play Mahjong or I play Sudoku. You're playing a video game. What's cool about it is you can play all those games on a board or a piece of paper, but you said you're playing on technology. Doesn't mean you're addicted to video games and we need to get, you know, Nancy Reagan back and have her save us all. But it does mean that you are playing a game and it's very cool because these are games that you get involved with friends. And there are other games. There's, you know, the revolution of games has come. There's things like Pokemon Go, which is going still insane. 
there are other games like Harry Potter. I saw had uh, the Harry Potter universe has a game out there. Marvel has a ton of games. They are starting to connect to TV, to movies, to people. Uh, Star Trek Fleet Command. I've been playing that recently, and I tell you, it is so neat. If you're a Trekkie, you're going to love it. It's got all your favorite people. It's one person it doesn't have, and it's just, it's okay. It doesn't have Ricardo Montalban as Khan. It has a brand new Khan, but it doesn't have Ricardo Montalban. Corinthian leather seats and all. It doesn't have him involved, which is okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, but one other thing is I've actually brought some other games onto uh, onto my iPad, which, like Settlers of Catan, as well as the board game Tokaido that I have that, you know, we can play if I go on an airplane with my kids or we're going somewhere or we're sitting on the couch. And they're just like, what do you want to do? I said, do you want to play a game of Settlers of Catan? Well, I don't want to bring it all up. Hold on. I got the iPad. We'll just sit here and, you know, we'll play. Let's turn the TV off, play a game, just sit around. And we do that. So, you know, that the phone, the iPads, all of them grew up. Now, there's one genre I really didn't get to, and I know there's probably people going, hey, wait, you haven't talked about D&D. And if anybody's on here and doesn't know what D&D is, it is Dungeons and Dragons. It is probably the singular content-based game connected to the most lore, and I'll go into what both of those are real quick just so we can talk through them, that has influenced Gaming, video games, board games, phone games, PC games, console games, across the board. And so what I say about Dungeons & Dragons is it's an RPG, a role-playing game. You create a character. You give that character traits. You get that character gear, armor, weapons, secret potions, rings, all the fun stuff. And then they that character and maybe others go on an adventure. In Dungeons and Dragons, you have a dungeon master. You have one person who kind of plays and controls the game. And then you have people that are like going through the adventure. Um, you know, if you saw Stranger, is it Stranger Things? Yeah, Stranger Things, sorry. Netflix raised their price and I was like, ah, eh, for a bit. But I may go back to Netflix soon. But they play, they start the game out, they start the TV show playing Dungeons and Dragons. You'd be amazed how many people play Dungeons and Dragons. The guys who did the entire Avengers saga the Russo brothers, well, Joss Whedon started, but the Russo brothers play D&D. There are so many people. In fact, Big Bang Theory made, uh, you know, Will Wheaton, Kevin Smith. Uh, I cannot say Joe, man, I can't say Joe in, but he's the big werewolf guy. He's married to Sofia Vergara, him. And, you know, and then William Shatner with, I think I said Will Wheaton already. Then Kevin Smith. Yeah, I got everybody covered there. They play D&D as a group. There are so many people that love playing this because there's a social aspect of it. You're a team. You're accomplishing a goal. Yay. And so there's the game in general. The lore that's built on it is anything written by C.S. Lewis, anything written by J.R.R. Tolkien, anything written in the world to the point where you have games like, obviously, D&D. You have Warhammer. You have Magic. You have all these other games that have sprouted out of Dungeons and Dragons, and they're amazing. And I remember at the time when Dungeons and Dragons came out, and I'm laughing about this because I was going to a Methodist church, and somebody had to have a talk with my mom about the dangers of my playing Dungeons and Dragons in my soul. So much so that I was singled out in this giant, kind of one of those revival things, and they hit me in the head with the microphone, and I fell down, which I've never figured that concept out, but maybe one day we can. 
but it got to the point where people were so afraid that that was going to change my faith and my dog. And in fact, what's interesting about Dungeons and Dragons is I've actually grown it because I've made really good friends. I have done quests to do good. I've done things to do help. And what's crazy about it is I've never gotten in an argument in a Dungeons and Dragons game versus the hundreds of arguments I've gotten in a church. Um, there are so many different versions of D&D. And I don't want to say different versions. There are different versions of RPGs out there. My favorites, obviously, D&D itself. Uh, I like the second version. I'm learning the fifth version so I can play with my kids. I want to make it so there's like, you know, adventures in our neighborhood. And I want to include things from Pokemon. And I want to include things from Lego and Marvel and Harry Potter and make it even a crazier universe. I love the Lego movies, how they kind of did that. I want to do that to D&D. So I'll have to give you at some point a synopsis on our D&D adventure when we get it all put together. I'm hoping this year for Christmas, giving a big present like that. But Marvel had an RPG back in the 80s, and it was so ahead of its time because the Marvel Universe was still comic books. And there's not a darn thing wrong in comic books. All my walls are covered in them. And I'm talking old school ones, new school ones, but at the time it wasn't ready. But you have stuff like Warhammer, and you have all these amazing great i could go down for hours we're going to do a board game thing and we'll go do an rpg thing too so that was just amazing now i would be amiss after giving you kind of the heads up over everything is that my very first and favorite all-time games was the one i wrote i was able to write a game on ms dos in basic kind of gave me my love affair with microsoft and apple I think they're just two cool companies that have helped us get to where we are now in the video games and stuff but i wrote an if then you know, oh, if this is here, go here, or go to, go sub at the time on our old Apple IIe. I, it was the first time, and I, I still had the copy of it a few years ago, so I did a scan of the disk because I had the disk drives and the Apple IIe, and I got them all to work at once. And I'd, I'd written somewhere around 8,000 lines of code for a game, and I thought, oh, cool, I should have sold this. Well, probably wouldn't have sold because there are other great text-based games out there. But at the, at the same time, you know, you have like this super tie in my life of video games. I have obviously things like Galaga and Tron. I have True of Pursuit, which I just love because I love learning about stuff. D&D, &D, World Warcraft, Settlers of Catan that all just flowed in as some of our favorite games in our house. So that's a little bit about my gaming history and what I, you know, what I'm hoping to find is find out about other people's. I'm hoping to learn as much as we can share on this on this podcast. I like to talk about really old games. I want to I have uh, I would love to talk to some folks at Atari or people that worked at Atari and just find out what that was like. I want to talk to people about new games. Uh, like I said, I just went to the the pack show and saw some really cool games. I saw games that I could see myself playing with my eight year old, my ten year old, or my twenty one year old. And fun, that would be fun. And then I'd like to talk about cutting edge. I've there are games that haven't been published. I'd like to know what happens. How do they decide to build a game? What makes a game? Uh, I also, again, like I said, I want to talk about every type of game. I like to talk to those devs, like I said, but I'd like to get their stories too. I want to find out how did you come to this point where you made this awesome game and people love this game and how did you get here? I'd also like to start doing some game reviews. I will reach out to a friend of mine who is probably going to be super helpful here because he and I both really like it. We are not connected to the game industry at all other than liking to talk to you about it and do that. 
I want to talk to some other gamers. So if you want to talk to me, let's do a five minute call and, you know, we'll do a quick, I've got like 10 questions we can ask and then finally answer some questions. So you know, this is the very first one. I just want to kind of talk about what, what it's about, what I would like to do, what I want to kind of give back to the people who play video games. But I also want to make sure that people over 50 understand it's okay to play video games. You're, there's just the stigmas in my, you know, from your family or your friends. Oh, you play video games. So what? Everyone does. You know, I deal with ageism in games. I've had people say, hey, grandpa. And I'm thinking, I'm not even close to being a grandpa. I have a child in second grade. No, there's no way <laughs> I will one day be one. But it's funny because they do that. And then I'm like, well, I'm the grandpa. And I think of Kathy Bates and uh, that fried green tomatoes movie. She's like, you know, you may have your youth, but I have more insurance. Well, you know, fine. You want to do all that stuff and spend 20 hours of your day playing a video game. I'm going to go out and, you know, I'm going to go out and buy one. So I'll make it easier on that. So there is a lot of issues that are in gaming. I don't want to get too depth in that, but I do want to talk about it. Or someone saying, hey, I don't feel good about this, or this looks like a dumb game. Let's make our voice heard. You know, as we get older, we're going to keep playing video games. Technology isn't going away. Kids are growing up not understanding what living without a phone is like or living without an iPad is like. And I think it's a cool concept to kind of help us understand what video games are about and how we can enjoy them how we can learn about them, how we can play them better. If there's any tips you guys want to give me on games, I'd love them too. So thank you. This is the first recording. I'm looking forward to releasing uh, three or four of these at a time. And I'm going to hopefully keep them under 30 minutes, maybe closer to like 15 or 20. This one was a big one. Sorry for the extra long one, but thank you. And I look forward to talking to you guys, getting your information and growing this podcast out.